Anyway, I have a title tonight, which I wrote down. It's called Compassion and the Mystery. And essentially it is, if I were to size it up in one sentence, it's we are, we are in uncharted territory. And, um, and as a human being, I don't know about you, but I, I think along with most other human beings, we don't do that well with, with uncertainty, being in uncharted territory, not knowing, even though that is the, that is the nature of our experience, always. But uh, when you have uncharted territory mixed with some aversion, mixed with some desire for things to be a certain way, it's a, it can be a really toxic cocktail and make it, make it very hard to bear. Uh, and then being vulnerable as a human being, which we are, to the uncertainties of life, uh, it is, just seems essential right now that we have compassion for ourselves and compassion for each other because we're all in uncharted territory. So you can think about what it means to you to be in uncharted territory. You know, for me, it's, I have to admit that it's, it's this sea change that's happened in our politics and our country, and I, I haven't been handling it that well. <laughs> and on top of it, you know, fortunately I have the, the, the well, in a sense, of the teachings that have supported me and that I have had the good fortune to be able to remind other people of, and that's, I think that's the best thing about functioning in this role is that I get to remind myself as I'm reminding others. And, and if you hang out in the Dharma scene long enough, you'll hear over and over and over and over again that if you are born, the definition of birth is the leading cause of eight experiences. Praise, blame, pleasure, pain, fame, shame, gain, and loss. If you don't have all of these, you're not one of us. Everyone. It's also true if you're born, given our, our proclivity to want what we don't have and not want what we do have, most of us don't want to have four of those worldly wins, and they want, they want just the four that are pleasant. Praise, gain, pleasure, fame. And, but it doesn't work that way. A little vignette from my own life. Few of you know this about this. Yesterday, after meeting with people all day in my city office, you know, over on Union Street, I walked to my car in the, in 
the neighborhood in the marina neighborhood where the office is. And I opened the door, sat down, and there was something under my rear end. And I peeked under, under something rubbing on the seat, and I noticed it was a piece of glass. Turned around, and somebody had, as they do in San Francisco and maybe everywhere, they had punched the glass and taken out of the back seat, which was a mistake, taken out of the back seat my back, my black rolling backpack with every piece of paper that I have accumulated in the last, I think, five or six years since the last time that happened, which was, there were a couple times where the first time was 22 years worth of every curled paper, gone, every talk, every discourse. That time, I got over that pretty quickly. Then it happened again a few years later, both near the church. One was in the foyer of the church here, after hours. The other one was in my car parked outside. And I was, you'd think I'd be used to it by now. <laughs> no, I was quite bereft and, and uh, just overwhelmed, just grief-stricken and just deflated, depleted, etc. And, and then I drove home with the, you know, the wind blowing through the window. And I, so this is, this is an experience of loss. You know, and, and as my mother said, she's 90, and her, her motto is, it could be worse. <laughs> she lives by that. It, it's really helped. But anyway, <laughs> could be worse. So I drove home and, and had about an hour to eat a little meal and digest what had just happened. Here I am, kind of stripped away of all my little accoutrement that I'd depend on. Now, it's a great lesson. Any, if your well-being is dependent on anything, you are, you, it's a setup for what we call dukkha, a sense of, sense of uh, unsatisfactoriness, unreliability, something that will be, will be difficult to bear. So I got home and I, I navigated the terrain of what was going on in my mind and and after I ate a meal, I went right on the internet and started downloading the things that I remembered that I had, that I might be able to find. And as I was sitting there, the phone rang. A lovely fellow called, named Joshua. I should give it, shout his name from the hilltop. He says, I have your bag. Amazing. So, you know, I cried and <laughs> told him <laughs> that I loved him. <laughs> you know, I just was just so appreciative. I said, you don't know. <laughs> You've made my night. Anyway, I drove back in the city and I took him a copy of my book just as a gesture. And I said, if, if you're interested, <laughs> read it. You know, he may not be. But this was such a this loss followed by this beautiful gesture of 
someone finding the bag on the, on the road and looking carefully through it and seeing a, a little airline tag, and in it was my phone number. Called me, and an hour and a half, I guess two hours later, I'm reunited with my bag. So loss and gain. And it doesn't always go this way. It's often gain and then loss. But it goes both ways. So if you don't have, we have both. And that makes us really vulnerable to situations, circumstances, conditions. And right now, for many people, I have a feeling there's a, a higher percentage in this room, are feeling that they've had a huge loss, uh, electoral loss. And, uh, and, um, and it's really hard to navigate that. And that's where the Dharma asks us to to learn how to, moment by moment, sit in the middle of it. To be able to have that, that quality of mind, sit in that, know that place in us that is, that is completely, you know, I was, I have to, I was crazy on one level, not really crazy, I was upset. But there was that part that's always available that I've noticed in every other loss that says, this is how it is, whether I like it or not. That was, and that, and that, sometimes that comes in words, but sometimes it's just this quiet knowing, a quiet knowing that things are as they are. And that is, that quality of knowing that things are as they are is synonymous with the quality of our mind that just knows what's happening. That is what we call sati, or mindfulness, or kindfulness. It has a quality of, of openness and, and connectedness with things the way they are. Things as they have come to be. The Buddha, from my understanding, is famous for this, this one line, yata bhuta, things as they are, things as they have come to be. And the that's where we have to find our, find our peace. And why do we have to find our peace there? Because things as they are, and I, I think in terms of the social, political, racial, religious, cultural condition that's, that is present in our, our world right now, in our, really the whole world, but in our neighborhood and in our in our country, there is such a preponderance of, of fear and a lack of safety and the potential for deportations, the potential for so many things, for the, the contamination of our resources, the, just, the, just so much destruction. There is a potential for that. So it is, it, the only way that that, that doesn't just go on unchecked the way the only way that we can actually um, love our world love our country love our love each other is if we're available if we're actually present if we are if our eyes our hearts are wide open 
the tendency I, kn- I know from for just living, you see the tendency is to, and that's why I'm so appreciative that you come on Tuesday nights, the tendency is to not stop, is to not, not metabolize your feeling, not be present, to stay distracted, to stay immersed in your, in your um, immersed in reading the news, immersed in, in, in thinking about things, immersed in entertainment, immersed in everything that, uh, that actually hides us away, in, that reinforces a sense of fear and dullness. And it's actually the road less traveled to stop and put our mind in our body and our body in our mind and feel. And so the, the f- four foundations of mindfulness, the teaching of the Buddha, so essential for this time. It's, not, it's completely germane to what's going on in the world. Tendency is to think, ah, what is this? What does sitting quietly have to do with ending racism? With making sure no one gets deported? just because of their, their, where their parents were born. What, is that, what does meditation have to do with that? But it's, it's precisely our ability to be present with this, to bear witness, to, to be strong, to be, to be active. And that's where mindfulness comes in. If I'm able to be mindful, I'm able to feel my body. If I'm able to feel my body, I'm able to feel my emotions. I'm able to experience what comes into my senses. Not just what I'm thinking about. Not just my situation, but what's right in front of my nose. If I'm able to feel my body, have my senses open, I'm able to actually feel emotions, like I said. If I'm able to feel my emotions, I'm able to, um, to then stay here because I can accommodate, I can metabolize what I'm feeling. I can feel really heartbroken. I can feel really afraid. I can feel really excited and enthusiastic. I can feel really calm and easeful. As long as I'm disembodied, disconnected, there's very little calm in that, very little rest. And if there's very little calm and rest, there is a whole cauldron of feelings that don't get metabolized, and that unmetabolized experience of emotion just generates a, a lot of restless mind, a lot of agitation, a lot of worry. Any of you had any of that lately? And notice what happens just even in a in a 45-minute period when you put your mind in your body, your body in your mind, and just stay here for a little bit. So the four foundations of mindfulness are really essential. Put your mind in your body. Number one, feel things that are both pleasant, unpleasant. Feel that neutral, those neutral moments, the neutral feelings 
That's the doorway, the gateway to equanimity, to that substratum of quiet that will help you as you go through all the other internal and external waves. So notice the pleasant. Notice the unpleasant. Can we notice unpleasant without thinking we need to go somewhere else or run away or thinking there's some kind of problem? Unpleasant is just unpleasant. And there's a lot of unpleasant happening right now because each of us is, is conditioned in a certain way where certain things, the way we're trained, the way we believe, the views and opinions we have, the whole, our whole orientation tells us is we're conditioned to experience some things as really unpleasant. And then different people have different associations with things that, that we associate with as pleasant. So some people are having a grand old time right now. But to be able to, to be able to be of use, of benefit, we have to be able to accommodate both. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Neutral is subtle. We usually go completely overlook it and look for something more pleasant or unpleasant. That's why we, um, yeah, that's, that's part of our thirst and hunger is to give, give me something that's more entertaining. But if you can get used to a little neutral, the secret of secrets will reveal itself to you. The secret of this substratum of peace that has never altered even by a hair. That is your own natural state. Your own mind. Peace. But we're so busy going out of ourselves and search looking elsewhere. So if you can be with your body, you can be with feelings, I mean feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, interest. if you can be with emotions, Know the internal weather and be as familiar and comfortable with the internal weather as you are with the external weather. The only reason we're not is just lack of familiarity because our, our mind is so in the habit of reacting to it. Taking something. Distracting. So the practice asks us to just hover a little bit so that we're available because there's so much wisdom there's so much caring so much compassion in our feelings so much energy that is that to to be of benefit to to let people know that we that we love them to do practice generosity whatever it is it's all bound up in our vital energy that gets occluded by not letting ourselves emotional bodies breathe. And if you can let your emotional body breathe and you meet it with awareness, you can start to see. This is where the fourth, that's the third foundation is mindfulness of mind, mind objects and its and it, um, different states of mind. But the more you sit with things, you can see how to be with, what, what really makes it possible to sit with yourself and sit with others and sit with the world? What, what are the qualities that we need to be able to be with ourselves and each other? We, we get to see, as the, at least in the teachings, the, what are called the factors of enlightenment, the awakening factors. 
the factors that when you meet your experience with these factors present, it, they all become the cause of your awakening. These factors are calm, of interest, of investigation, of mindfulness, of concentration, of, of equanimity. These, you, you notice the qualities both grow and the qualities that are needed to actually accommodate your experience, your inner and your outer experience. And you get to see equally as clear what qualities of mind, what tendencies of mind, what attitudes of mind make it really hard to be with our life right now, be with your experience right now. And those are what we call the hindrances. Being caught in in adding that extra when we're experiencing something difficult, adding that extra stress, the second arrow that says, I want something other than this. I don't want this. Aversion or grasping. Knowing what our experience is like when when we're caught in wanting it to be different. What it's like when we are when we are um, in a state of worry, what it's like when we're, when we're dull and, and clueless, slothful. What's it like when our mind is meeting our experience with doubt? We get to see that. So you get to see the, the states of mind that, are, that, are, that hinder our sense of well-being and those that help us to accommodate our life with, with a certain grace. All of that emerges if you practice mindful, kindful attention. And again, I, every week I think I say the same thing. This is what I need to be able to be available, to widen so that I come out of the tangle of my internal reactivity and drama, even the drama of having lost my stuff I was so appreciative of this quiet that was there, that kind of picked me up. And I was already on to the next, uh, the next, you know, I have to go to teach in Houston this weekend. I have to teach in Arizona the following weekend. I was, oh, okay, maybe I'm just going to go empty-handed this time. Not take any talk notes, not take, and it, it became okay. And I, I can, I attribute that to to the training of training of understanding and the training of simple mindful attention. Because if you look at things long enough, you see things are as they are, whether I like it or not. And we just deal. You just deal. And as my mother would say, things could be worse. <laughs> so there was one last thing I wanted to say about. So if, we're, if you're vulnerable, feeling vulnerable and shaky and, and, we're, and, and you're just experiencing that sense of the mystery of what, what we're entering into, see if, we can, if you can both embrace the mystery, that reminder that we never know what's going to happen, and keep, as the Korean Zen tradition says, keep, don't know mind, says you... Who are you? You think you know, you don't know. Clear mind, clear mind, don't know, don't know. Keep that, I don't know. 
At the same time, because we're so tender, so vulnerable, and so many of us are in more vulnerable conditions right now, and there's a profound lack of safety in our, in our community that we, we have to be compassionate with ourselves. Our own vulnerability, the vulnerability and compassion, the vulnerability of others. And ideally, be compassionate and kind to those who you don't agree with. Right up to the top. Because if I carry ill will, that's one of those things you see, aversion. If I meet that person, either whether it's on TV or what I read, if I meet that with aversion, who suffers? I suffer. And that suffering of ill will is very much dependent on how frequently I keep recreating that person in my mind as the evil one or that group of people as the evil ones. Every time I do that, I go into an aversive reaction and I, it's like I incarnate as a sufferer. And there is something about that when you meet that with mindfulness, kindfulness, you start to interrupt that compulsive proliferation, reactivity, and say, okay, maybe I'll use this moment and see if I can, I can at least not feed my ill will. Acknowledge it, feel it. But then feel the compassion for how, how much, um, how, how reactive I am, how tight I am, how, how heartbroken I am. Let me feel that. And then if I do that, I'm a little less likely to be so angry at, at the other. I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to be softened a little bit if I can feel myself. So I, I think I want to say two things. Notice how much you recreate in your mind the situation of the world. How often you recreate it as a, as a, a bad thing. I'm not sure all the times that I recreate it whether I'm do, being of any benefit. So I want to notice that and I want to notice how I feel with kindness, with compassion and jump in to the mystery. Remember, you know, many people do this in intensive practice. We have to do it in the middle of our daily life, but I'll read what was put on our what was put on our uh, bulletin for this week that went out to the list, the words of uh, Tijitsu, where you can extrapolate it into our daily life, but this is someone who's living a very simple life, and so she's moment to moment, she is being um, very um, continuously mindful, and this is the result. Standing on the small porch of Hakujan, Hakujuan, she saw the shadow of a little wren cross the footpath, followed by the shadow of a hungry crow, 
and she saw that the little wren arose, abided, and fell away. And then she saw that arising arose, abided, and fell away. And that abiding arose, abided, and fell away. And the falling away arose, abided, and fell away. She saw that knowing this arose, abided, and fell away. Then she knew there was nothing more than this, no ground, nothing to lean on, stronger than the cane that she held, nothing to lean upon at all, and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So let's fall into the midst of everything, moment by moment, past gone, future unborn, tender, open, welcoming. May we all see things as they are, as they have come to be. May we dedicate ourselves to the welfare and benefit of all beings, all of our community. May our thoughts, our words, and actions today and every day be dedicated to everyone's welfare. May any of the fruits of our practice tonight be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings be liberated, open-hearted. Thank you for listening and letting me remind myself to sit in the middle of it all. And good luck, good luck. See you next Tuesday, hopefully, if you're so inclined. Nice to be with you all. Thanks for your generosity as well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.